This episode is brought to you by the new October term. Open now at fxphd.com. You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC podcast covering digital cinematography. This week we'll be covering, oh, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, we've got you a bit more information on uh, pricing rearrangements. Uh, there are red rays coming, which is really uh, of quite a lot of interest, and a bunch of other stuff coming up. And Jason and I just want to have a chat. Um, Jason is about to leave to go overseas, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go fairly rat holy this week here at the RC, where we see our role to mine the news, filter the blogs, and yes, to go down these aforementioned rat holes. And this is all the camera tech we discuss, obsess about, argue about, and try and work out. And uh, Jason is in the pod chair. I'm in pod number two. In pod two here pod at uh, the two. tech compound. How are you, my friend? I'm excellent. How are you? Good. Good, good. Hello, everybody. So, um, yeah. So, before we'll we get try and have enough actual news to thread together rat holes. I don't even know what they're all even talking about yet, but we'll we'll get it there. It's definitely uh, the complete opposite. Probably last last. Last episode where it was uh, way too much news for a nep, but uh, we'll find enough to chat about. Sure, sure. Sure. I want to talk about lighting, actually, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, But before we do that, let's get through some of the uh, news items. And uh, obviously, we were focusing on Sony last time. We want to focus uh, on uh, some other things, including red. But before we do that, we actually have an update on the pricing that we didn't have when we were talking about the Sony stuff. So just real quick to close that discussion out, the kind of leaked now official pricing on that Sony gear. Yeah, so actually, these are all presently pleasantly lower than I can't remember what our um, actual guesses were last ep, Mike. But these, from memory, seem to be a lot lower. F fifty five. Now, this has been sort of I think leaked and then turned into official because accidentally we, someone hit the wrong button, wrong button. So we'll, now we'll make it official on uh, Sony Japan's website. Thirty six k for the F fifty five body, body only. 22k for the f5 body so i think that's at least five or so k below what i'd imagined so sorry just give me those numbers again 36k for the f55 yep this is minus the external well the dockable recorder yep uh and 22k for the f5 body so if you consider f3 was about sort of 15 12 probably street you can, uh, you know, that this is pretty good for to go from F3 to F5. It's a bit of a jump uh, in terms of eight, the camera you get. Uh, the 6PL lens kit is 29K. That's a, quite a good extended kit. 3PL lens kit, so this is the other lenses that you would add to if you yep. had your exist, original existing F3 stills kit, uh, prime kit is 16K. Uh, the raw recorder is six and a half thousand. This is all US prices converted over from the yen on the uh, Sony Japan site. So six, that's a little less, I think a little less than what I expected. Maybe bang on, but uh, certainly not more. Um, the OLED viewfinder is probably more than I expected, which is 7K. Um, the three and a half inch LCD viewfinder, which can turn into, you know, is kind of like a flip it out of the way, can be a, a monitor stroke uh, loop loop finder. It's 4K. Uh, the card reader is 700 bucks, and the rest is sort of batteries. Batteries, you know, the battery technology, the newer um, battery technology they they announced is maybe seems to be a little higher than what we'd expect. 600 bucks for a battery, 
for an FL75 and uh, $1,000 for a charger, dual charger. Uh, so I think, so 40-something, 40 40-odd, 40 42-ish, I guess, for an F55 body and recorder. It's, it's getting it's getting up there for an F55 kit with recorder and, and a and uh, a monitor. Well, this segues well into our pricing that we have details on now for for Red's new pricing, right? It gives us something to compare to. Yeah, because um, even before that pricing was leaked or announced, uh, shortly after the F5, F55 launch, Red, apart from, um, we'll talk about the 4K for 4K, announcement they uh, lowered all the prices for epic x packages to go from 34 and a half grand for an epic epic x brain only down to 19 a lot of these prices are 20 30 45 percent lower than than they were uh, an epic a scarlet x bodies now uh, nearly eight down from nearly 10 uh, the monochromes thumped its way down from 42k to 25k We'll talk about that a bit a little later on as well, but uh, these are pretty significant uh, price drops. Nineteen k for an Epic X brain only. So you can uh, put a media in that, uh, put an SSD, you know, have an SSD and, and maybe a touchscreen. You can be out and have a shooting package for about twenty five grand. Okay, so I think that's what we really should be looking at, like a yeah. uh, a you know, so an X with say a side mount. Um, Side SSD and I think we're talking twenty five, twenty seven k. It used yeah. to be about more like forty three k, right? Yeah. So we're talking. These are sort of good numbers, but it varies. There's obviously a huge number of combination permutations. Uh, Thirty, forty percent off kind of number, right? Mm, yeah, around about that. So it's. I think. I mean, people who have probably bought the cameras fairly recently, you know, a month or two ago fairly rightly kind of could probably get a bit peed off but hey you know this is progress and this is a purchase on a camera based on a camera that's been around for a year you know i mean it's we've been talking about it for a few years but actually in the wild purchasable for 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 over a year it's interesting that the scarlets are like eight grand um and and it's an interesting because it is a big price difference between Mm. a scarlet and a Say a Scarlet X and an Epic X, so yeah. it's it's eight grand versus say nineteen grand, mm. and and it's theoretically the same camera. It's just not as performing as well. Yeah, well, and yeah, it's a little bit sort of spec hobbled. Spec hobbled, but it's not and like four K, not five K. So different field of view. Yeah, but if you were shooting something that was going to go out two K, like nineteen twenty by ten eighty. Yeah, as long as you, and you want to overcrank too much, yeah. You're okay. Well, but but that's what I'm saying. Like, you would actually theoretically produce identical pictures. At, um, yeah, yeah. In, if they were both set to 4K. Yeah, yeah. Slightly, slightly different. Slightly, slightly larger sensor on, on Epic. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're still dealing with 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 red raw. You still got raw images um, for for 8K. But you can spend even less if you want raw uh, 4K images. And uh, although that that uh, train has sailed 4k uh they were offering an awful lot of uh, battle tested uh, red ones with the side ssd module yeah um for four for 4k i think even slightly less maybe it's three nine or so um 
they maybe some more will or will 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 turn up eventually i guess a lot of these bodies are re um re i guess refurbished uh trade in trade in bodies absolutely yeah i mean uh, i still have our red one yeah. with a and we did put a side unit on it because otherwise i thought it would just be no use yeah. whatsoever so that's uh that's basically a red one with a ssd slot on the side mm. it's Yes, I mean, like a 4,000, therefore, would be the benchmark of what that's worth, I guess. Yeah, you still need to buy an SSD for that and some sort of viewfinder. But if you really want to, you could just put a, you know, say, just a small HDMI monitor on top and uh, uh, get the bare bones 512 SSD for maybe less than a grand or almost a grand. So you could be doing raw recording for 5-ish K uh, with PL mount. 4K, uh, for, for a 4K sensor, Super 35 sensor, and be and be and have all the joy of, uh, all the joy of, uh, of of you know, raw imagery. So um, the smallest size of the SSDs is the 48 gig, which is about 500 bucks. Right. The 64 gig is 700 bucks or thereabouts. Okay. I I normally run with like 256 or 128 um, as a bare minimum, which are I've got to say the the 128 gig is like 1200 bucks the the 256 is 2500 bucks roughly speaking. Yeah. Um would you go for a red iodized looking $3900 512 gigabyte SSD? Well, we don't really know the advantage for that yet, do we? I don't think that's that that red the, the super duper what do they call it? I just thought it was the mega, S- mega SSD. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think we've fully been. Oh, you think there's more to it than that? Told why we need that yet? Because so honestly, I don't actually want to have that much media on one thing. Just simply, if somebody drops it, you know, loses it or whatever. I, yeah, but <clears> it's a higher data is. rate unit, right? It's not just. It's not just the high. Am I wrong? Um, I think so. I I honestly haven't really spent that much time looking at it uh, because it's. It's a lot of money. It's four grand, and yeah. I don't need to spend four grand. Um, it is true that it's about the right price for buying four of the one twenty-eight. It's not like there's a big sort of savings difference, yeah. you know. Because obviously, sometimes uh, when you're buying memories, or whatever, the higher price one is disproportionately very, very expensive. Um, so it makes sense, but I just don't want it all tied up. And, and quite frankly, I quite often pop a mag out, and if we're in the studio, that'll go through to a station, and we'll be looking at some stuff while we're setting up for the next shot. So I actually don't want... and I, I like my mags rotating around. Yeah, I just go with 128s. I think I had three one, four 128s. I think I got rid of one because I, I was never really getting into the, that fourth one. I could you are so around. good at selling stuff when you're not using it. Oh, it's good because I sold it before the price dropped, actually. <laughs> I don't know. Because it yeah. used to be like 17 or 1800 bucks for 128 gig. Now it's 12, 12, 12.50. But the, yeah, I think that's a, good, that's a good size if you're... It depends if you're doing your own... You know, if you've got someone to do data for you and to recycle these things over during the day, obviously it depends on what you're shooting and your frame rate, but also depends on whether you're just shoot it all and then worry about the data and you're sort of a bit more Robinson Crusoe and you're worrying about data at the end of the day or whether you've got someone to tackle that uh, throughout the day for you. So, um, But, yeah, to be workable, 
probably 128, 64, you know, 128, I'd say. Okay, so... But anyway, the, I mean... So the, the, the much more interesting things than talking about memory cards. Yes, so let's move please, on. Move so on. Um, the Red Rocket is really getting close to being uh, released insofar as at the end of this month on the 30th, um, there's going to be some major announcement. Now, the major announcement we assume is that they're shipping because we've seen photos posted in Red User yes. of stacks of these suckers sitting uh, in a row being manufactured by the awesome manufacturing team at... Uh, at the Red California offices. Yeah, I guess a little bit more info on the new one will be what's going to come out because it's very different unit. Well, it's slightly different unit to the Red Ray that we've seen um, at NAB, etc. doesn't seem to have the display on the front of it. So some things have changed in the design of it. Uh, it does look a little bit simpler, a bit more minimalistic, so it would be good to know what its capabilities and thus, I guess, pricing will, will, will change and reflect. If everything else is lowered down, I imagine... Uh, price of of red rays going to go down because we've never seen any more mention whatsoever of the mini of the smaller more domestic i guess you'd call it red ray yeah it's interesting isn't it like the, we've seen multiple kind of things going on here and mm. it's it's actually really hard to keep track because we've seen the red ray pro we've yep. seen you know mock-ups of various things and all of these things are subject and one to change. That ran off a disc, and one that ran off just CF cards. One that you know, one that essentially Red Ray was going to be sort of the next Blu-ray. You know, it was going to be. Yep. You could do 4K off a off a a, a, C, a, C, a, a DVD DVD yep. ROM. They now hold uh, SSD cards and have USB inputs on them, and is that to upload files? I don't know. I don't quite know exactly how it's working, but we expect on the 30th all will be revealed. This is under the new um, red policy of not trying to leak everything in advance. Mm. Um, so whether they can hold to that and not actually do anything, but um, interesting. They seem to be making a lot, so I guess they're imagining. But by around about that time, I imagine you are probably going to be able to purchase so it looks like it, doesn't it? And I mean, this is a really significant event. It's it could potentially shake up the industry a lot more than many other things because a an inexpensive four K projector that produces good looking images would be um, as revolutionary, I guess, in some respects as what we've seen with the cameras. I think there's obviously going to be more cameras and projectors inherently. Yeah, everyone's going to be very keen to see more, hear more about projectors, but I'm very keen to see what this rollout of red ray will mean to you know infrastructure and theaters and are we going to see a more uh, see more 4k installations or more more 4k capable okay let me uh, ask you this cinemas. would you would you put a 4k projector a red ray in your home and if so at what price point no my place just doesn't I, I don't know projecting if you had a dedicated room be able to do that and turn it into terrific but i mean you've probably tried that i know lots of people have tried it and it's very hard to turn a room in your home into somewhere that's projectable and you know it's as soon as you do projecting versus a screen then you have to really it's a conscious effort to get everybody in sit down close all windows close drapes close doors whatever it, it becomes a, a it's a it's a less accessible you know functional you know piece of pipe infrastructure in your home than than a screen which will work 24 7 windows open windows closed yeah which is of course the yeah. same argument <coughs> over stereo isn't it <coughs> i mean there's going to be stereo or they promise stereo uh, passive glasses on a on a red ray whether this yeah. happens or not on this first release we don't know but that's the same issue isn't it i mean it's all very well saying i have 3d at home but how often do you sit down Get in the right exactly. position. Turn the lights down. Get the glasses, get the glasses, all the glasses on. Glasses are charged. Yeah. Bro well, not broken. 
<laughs> and you have you've bothered to buy you've bought the th- the 3D version of the Blu-ray and and you know everything's all all the stars align. I think it just how happen. often you use something is completely proportional to how how the level of convenience to do it. It's like uh, uh, you know any any big thing or owning a boat or whatever. If it's a complete pain in the ass to to get there, if it's it's ready in the, in the water and walk on and walk off, it's terrific. You go and use it or a pool. You know if your pool's always green or full of leaves or cold or whatever, you hardly ever use it or any. You know, this is a, fuck. This is sounding like a freaking first, <laughs> I, I don't know where you're first going. world problem podcast. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, but, uh, my you know, gosh, if it's, if it's, it's easy uh, to use, it, you uh, use yeah, it. If it's one yeah. button, you know, because I don't really use my Apple TV much, you know, because I got to switch it over from. Oh, it's really? always everything. I use always my set Apple TV to, all the time. Yeah, because mine's set to Foxtel, and you you know to cable, and you just hit turn it on, and it's always set to that. You yeah, have I'm to sorry, sort of find the cable. other remote because you know, and da, da, da. so I don't use it all the time, and you know it's not just programming ready to go. So I don't know. Projectors, terrific. Not everyone's going to have the infrastructure or the room that suits it. I know a lot of people that have tried, and it just always ends up being one of those things. Well, we turn it on when people come over, and we do it for five minutes, and. You know, it's like the Wii, you know, the Wii was terrific and everyone, you know, come over, well, just do a bit of golf, have a bit of a laugh while you're sort of at the end of a dinner party when you're completely all off your face and it's a, a real <laughs> bit, bit, bit of fun. And then it just turns off and no one ever, you know, it doesn't get played with the rest of the time. So, uh, but I, w- I welcome the uh, announcements to see how that is going to affect or uh, help the... 4K, accelerate the 4K rollout and hopefully do what they did for acquisition for cinemas because that will accelerate 4K workflow staying 4K all the way through. At the moment, because most people project in 2K, that's where the buck stops, as you know, Mike. Even today, most people might should be shooting on Epic or shooting on uh, stuff that are acquired beyond 2K. But you always generally most people are posting, right? If they're going to spend their uh, vast VFX budget, they are going to be finalising in 2K or HD and not anything more. Yeah. So if if the if we're going to start to see 4K in the home, we're going to start to see 4K projection being the norm. Then finishing in 4K even if you're doing it for TVCs, is going to be start slowly become what you do. Okay, so this yeah? is this is what I was discussing in a podcast recently I'm going to talk to you about. I went and saw Star uh, Skyfall. Yeah. And Skyfall was shot on the Alexa uh, by the man himself, Roger Deakins. Yes. Awesome DOP. It was projected 4K. It was um, two point whatever recorded. Have I talked to you about this since I saw it? Nope. It so, was awesome. Yeah. Here's the thing. It was more awesome than it should have been. Now, this is relevant to projectors because you were just talking about the workflow in 4K all the way along the line. Alexa was never 4K in the first place. It was at best 2.5K and yet projected 4K in the cinema. It just looked way better than it should have. Now, I do know that it was carefully upresed. It wasn't like it had some automatic upresing happening in the uh-huh. in the projector or something. In fact, I think Deacons, from what we've learned, actually even rejected the IMAX upres and got a special pass done to get it looking so good. But yeah. it was just way better than it should. It was punching way above its weight. And there are some epic shots intercut with from helicopters because they had a you know drone chopper which um, had an epic in it. But basically, it's just Alexa footage. It looks great. It looks just so good. It's not funny. Um, and even films that are shot 4K on Epic or 5K on Epic, um, notably some very big budget stereo jobs, are uh, posting at 2K. Um, 
But that being said, projecting at 4K, if it's a good uh, pipeline and it was, yeah. you know, dealt with uh, sensibly and, and reasonably. Oh, my God. Skyfall looks so much better than it should. I mean, it was really like I sat there thinking this is a complete joke because I make a big deal, right? Uh, they set us special things. Oh, it's not going to be in this cinema. It's going to be this new cinema because we put a special 4K projector in just for Skyfall, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, what a joke. Where, where Don't did they you know see I'm technical it? here what, in Sydney. Which cinema? It, uh, yeah. Okay. And they were like, and I was thinking, what a joke, right? They're going to pull the wool over all these press people by claiming it's 4K. Hello, people. That was only shot 2K. What, you know, there's going to be no, oh my God, I'm going to shut up now. Because so it, it be, was great. And would have been, all the workflow, all the post, all, there would have been a 2K. Yeah. It would have been a, a 2K. It was. It was all 2K. 2K DCP. But, but, upraised. but major, 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 major stereo pictures being shot now are mm. all 2K posted, even if they're shot on the Epic in 4K. Yeah. All I'm saying is that there's a lot of benefit in a 4K projection. Uh, and now, of course, I haven't seen the Red Ray, but there's a lot of 4K benefit in projection if you um, have a really good 4K projector because it's almost as if you lose quality during the projection process. So if you project in 4K, you effectively don't lose quality. So it looks like you've gone up in quality. I guess you, you perceptively have, but you know what I mean? It's not so much that it's empirically better. It's just empirically it didn't get worse. And so you perceive it as being better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm all for um, projection getting better because yeah, I'm. I'm oh, it's just stunningly time good. And time again at, at crappy projections, crappy film projections. It's uh, now this was not an IMAX print. This was in a you know normal kind of cinema. Yeah, uh, at 4K. So it wasn't a different aspect ratio because there is, in fact, just to be clear about this, on Skyfall, they I'm pretty sure shot that not cropped down to the final normal theatrical um, framing, which presumably is uh, is quite um, widescreen. They shot it sort of like on a slightly more open gate so that when they did an IMAX version of it, they right. could have a different aspect ratio and projection. Now, that's a, you know, a good, sensible way to go because it gives you a bit more headroom so you don't have to blow it up as much. And obviously, an IMAX screen tends to be more 4 by 3 than... Than two, three, one, five. Yeah, so but, shot more sixteen nine than than uh, or shot more. Yeah, yeah. One eight five than, exactly. than two, three, five. Yeah, and so one eight five is a much better thing to have up your sleeve, so that you don't have to crop in on the two, three, five to then blow it up to give you back that top and bottom. That one eight five is closer to sixteen by nine for uh, <clears throat> Blu-ray, etc. Release and framing. Yeah, but um, man, it was so good. So I'm I'm really I mean this thing about this, and it's unfortunately the case is. No amount of discussing the Red Ray is going to make... Um, eh, it's going to be interesting to discuss it on the 30th. Mm. What you're really going to want to do is see the bloody thing on as yeah. soon as you can after the 30th. But if they are providing a piece of equipment that will make distribution of data for projection, make it secure and make it cheap. And so if they've got a choice of something that will play the existing formats and and uh, you know whatever Red's going to come up with, then... Anything that makes it cheaper for a studio for theatres to do install and to get good good playback is going to accelerate because that's what happened with the red one, right? It was it was bang for buck, and so if if red come out with the the bang for excellent bang for buck solution for installs, and it means they have an up an easy I suppose upgrade for their if their projector is upgradable from two K to four K reason if they've got an upgradable projector. And the, the 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 playback side of things is sorted reasonably cheaply. Then yeah, bring it on. I, I mean, it, it, in domestically, it's all being powered by. Well, what's the next thing? We need the next thing to be able to power. You know, what's going to get units off the shelves for next Christmas, twenty you know, 
Christmas 2013 mm-hmm. and and 4K. Well, you can just you can start to see it by by for next next year's sales. Next year's you know 2013 Black Fridays, whatever Cyber Mondays, all going to be power, um, you can see 4K being the next thing to accelerate um, sales of sales of stuff that are waning. I, I guess. So we did discuss Skyfall a bit on the last show, and in that one, we made an error by saying that it I was did. Deacon's first digital feature that we shot in time on the Alexa. Yes, so the first digital wasn't. Bond. But, but it was the first digital it, Bond, and that's a really big point, actually. Yeah, it was the first time Bond But that was always, I guess, going to be... And I believe Sam Mendes's first... It could be Sam Mendes's first digital... Um, sure. I know that it was Roger Deakins that sold... Good luck sold, with that call, Mike. I know, that sold... You'll uh, find out shortly if it's right or wrong. Well, I, you know, I have actually, during the week, uh, spoken to the VFX supervisor of uh, Skyfall. We had a, a really good chat, um, Steve, and uh, that's on a separate FX podcast. Well, I haven't seen it yet. I'm absolutely bustingly dying. There's very few films on the calendar coming out that I'm dying to see, and uh, I'll just have to wait till like, the great unwashed release date to see it. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> like that would be uh, Thursday, right? I'm sure it's only a matter of time also until uh, Alexa is limited to 2.5K. Well, I just think that, that it's it's a really... No, but I mean, I'm just getting back to this point, right? Like 2.5K, 4K, most of the post is being done at 2K, but then up to 4K, it's still a really valid uh, option. Um, there's a couple of other quick things while we've uh, just knocking through some stuff. Um, we had our competition uh, to do with... Um, uh, the Film Convert, Film Stock Emulation Software. Yes, and the, uh, the winner was Jonas or Joe Halmerstrand, a uh, long-time uh, uh, person of note on Twitter at, at Halmerstrand with two Ms. And, yes, he won. with He was first, I think, probably about two hours after the podcast went live. Uh, there were, in fact, many people, many people who got it. Shane's and name, and absolutely. we apologise if you didn't win. But. Uh, Shane Rangi was the correct answer. Apparently, I couldn't get that answer, but uh, that was, I'm sure it sounded it sounded like it. The answer was there in the Twitter, in the uh, blogosphere, and and uh, the intertubes to to find. So, congrats to those people. And uh, Jonas already has his uh, his serial numbers from Film Convert. Thank you very much again to Robert Rubber Monkey for providing that that was great that was a bit unexpected so we appreciate it also i just want to give you a bit of a heads up that we had ourselves as an in part of an internal uh no pretty very externally publicly discussed um iphone i yeah basically an iphone discussion i guess i mean if you're listening to this podcast you may be listening to it on an apple device in which case if you were listening to it on an apple device that had the new um app that's been given out the for listening to podcasts, podcast app. you may have, like the rest of us, agreed that that was a step back in the development of podcasting. And many of us just suffered with it or just listened. I mean, quite frankly, I listen in my car in a playlist of podcasts. I put a playlist in the uh, my iPhone and then that iPhone playlist just plays in the car. So I listen to whatever in the order that I've put it in. So I don't actually ever use the app. I hated it that much. You have you have all the podcasts going into a smart playlist just that says podcast. Yeah, and then in the car right. I listen to those right. um, podcasts and I you know take stuff off uh, and stuff. Anyway, we discovered that if you I don't know, you discovered actually if you well, kill that um, yeah if that you app, kill that app 
and restart the phone at least once yes. or twice. I think I didn't need to, but others have had to restart. I did. Or I have had to restart a couple of times. Yep. And the podcast will populate back into iTunes and the video podcast will populate back into the videos uh, app, I guess you could call it. So it's a kind of a step back, but man, the new app was not a step forward at all. It was it did my head in. Like so just the, to be clear about oh, this. Good, when there's you, a new app. Oh, no, but it says download you, it. So it's there, but it's you, not there. Hang on, but you, I subscribe to it. So why the fuck do I have to download it? When you were actually in that, uh, when you're going to delete that app, it'll actually say, if you delete this app, it'll delete it and all its contents. And it takes nerves of steel, but I did that. I think I, I don't even, I don't think I even saw that or I just... I just yeah, okay. just reflex action, just muscle memory. Just went, okay, yeah, do whatever you have to do. Okay. Anyway, so it did that. Then it uh, it came. I, I actually had my um, iPhone and I looked at it, and I had no way of accessing my podcast at all. Though it was still in my smart playlist, which was interesting. Though I couldn't access that from the UI, so I was looking at it, just going, "Well, you've completely broken my phone." <laughs> Thanks, you Jason. bastard, Wingrove. Anyway, what happened then is that uh, somebody else posted on Twitter saying, hey, just restart your phone a couple of times. So full power off, full power on, and it all sorted itself out. So, um, yeah. yeah, heads up it, if you are a podcast listener, which you are because you're listening to this. That's true. So I don't, I'm sure, I know there are a couple of other alternatives to the podcast yes. app out there, non-Apple alternatives, which probably work great. But I guess I'm... Just if you just if you just one step at a time, maybe I might start looking at those. But in the meantime, just get rid of this old piece of crap and just, or and go or go back to the way. Just go back get rid to the, of the way new piece of crap and get, get back rid of the, the way new it was. piece of crap and yep. p- please put me back 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 in time. Okay, other quick this. things. There is a um, shot on red short film festival. Actually, long yeah, long I kind of missed the entry. Not that I was going to enter anything, but I missed no, plugging we actually, it. We I actually did enter you. What we entered you? Oh, yes. Okay. For cool. moving day. Oh, cool. Which was shot oh, on excellent. the red. Oh, good. Hey, yay. Yes. That's right. That was, that, that's, that's your film. That, that was red, yes. Of course. It doesn't have to be all, it have to be new, shiny, epic footage at all. So that is on uh, the, you can still get tickets, which I believe are the uh, impressive price of nothing. Uh, there's two events. There's the uh, short films on December 4th and the features film, features and docos on Wednesday, December 5th. It just says LA. I presume it's probably going to happen at uh, Red HQ. I'm not sure what the venue is uh, or who's putting it on, but uh, the tickets are still available. You can still get the on the links via, via red.com. Um, so, yeah, you can. looks like you can still... Um, book your tickets for the grand price of nothing and uh, be interesting. I'm sure uh, someone will eventually let us know where this is on. But uh, I'm sure it'll be a great event to go and see. And it'll be something that no doubt they'll put on every year. Speaking of stuff in LA, you're off to LA this weekend for the road uh, competition. You yeah, gonna we're going to be... go start shooting the doco. The band uh, from Bali is flying to LA and the um the winner is flying from, I want to say, no, I'm um, Argentina, Spain, somewhere. I can't remember. I'm sorry. Um, uh, and so, yeah, everyone's flying in from around the world. Uh, Phil Bloom coming in from UK, of course. Uh, we've got some great crew backing us up there in LA as well, shooting at uh, Record Plant Studios. There, uh, As we're shooting this, going to, the plan is to have like sort of not daily, but there'll be like video blogs or there'll be kind of like behind the scenes kind of 
a little video, I guess a little video blog every day or two um, for progress of the production. Because the edit and the final pro- the final release of the, the film that Nuno uh, ends up making will, will take a little while to get right because he cuts his own stuff and is quite post-heavy in, his, in, in, his, in the way he does things. So it's gonna, and that's not going to happen immediately, but uh, there'll certainly be, should be some, a, bit, a bit of fun to be had on, on the shoot. Now... Some other goss, uh, and, and by the way, have a great time in LA. Yeah, it should be it should be really should be really interesting. Really Please bring back to very Kula. nice to get on a plane and not actually have to have to be wheeling uh, um, three or four Pelican cases of, of gear with me. It'll just be sort of just yeah, just just me. Yes, be very uh, nice. So yeah, I'm sure I'll be tw- tweeting out links, and uh, I'm sure you can follow Phil on his uh, usual. Uh, blogs and tweets to keep up with that. Um, so uh, the other bit of goss, um, we don't have much in the way of images or anything, I don't think, is the um, uh, mini Cine Raw. Yeah, the Kinney Raw is, Kinney the, Raw, is the, I call it the RX of the uh, Chinese, um, um, I guess you call it Red One Stroke Alexa, I want to say knockoff, but I don't, I, that's probably unfair because it may well Little hush. No, it, it's just it's just looking at what's out there and taking the best of, of every world. The they have announced, and thanks to Matt Allard uh, for filling me in on this, they have announced the Kinney Raw Mini. I don't know if anything is on their actual website at the moment. Uh, the Kinney Raw Mini, which is only going to record uh, Cinema DNG, no Cineform codec, which the larger Kinney Raw does, but uh, as I've seen from Matt uh, at the ACS night the other night, he did a month, they have like a monthly kind of drop-in night, and he played uh, um, some stuff that he and Clinton Harm had shot together, some really nice footage. And they only use the Cinema DNG, only uh, they only use the Cinema DNG, I think. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, terrific. Uh, looked looked absolutely beautiful the footage footage from the camera so uh the kinney raw mini uh fit in the palm of your hand same sensor as the kinney raw so super 35 uh no fans built-in lithium-ion battery no doubt you can be able to have external power uses a single ssd as opposed to the larger kinney raw which has two ssd slots dual hdmi doesn't have sdi um, but uh, there is a there's a, a mounting system that the, both Kinney Roars have, which is theoretically there's a, a, a viewfinder system coming. But at the moment you can plug in whatever you like, uh, audio in, and they're going to try and get this out there for under four grand US. So that should be interesting. No word on frame rates or any overcranking ability. But uh, from what I can see from the Kinney Raw itself, the larger that has definitely evolved since last, since you know, as we followed it along, it's, it's even evolved from the product, pre-production unit I saw the other night to what they're actually shipping now from from um, from China is uh, has evolved again. So you know, it's an, yet another arrow in the quiver i think it should be quite interesting particularly if it's going to be quite small and light and um go with non-proprietary codecs anything that uh i keep forgetting which is one between cinema dng and cineform that uh that i that they they show what's what's the lighter less 
processor intensive of those two is probably going to be between Cineform and yeah, can be D and G. Is it? Mm. I can't remember. Anyway, one is a little bit more um, uh, offline friendly and a little bit easier to you know edit, uh, laptop editing friendly, and one one requires a little bit more grunt. So apologies to Matt. So I've, I've, I think I've screwed up which which format they 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 screened, but uh, like it's another it's another option. And as I say, non proprietary. Bring it on, and more people should be looking at Cinema DNG, I think, and Cineform. Um, I have a, a request to you, the listeners of the show. Um, I'm desperately trying to find out some information, and I thought, hey, as you're happy to correct us when we're wrong, maybe I could just ask you and you could tell us. Um, so completely nothing to do with that. Moving on and changing subject, I've been really excited, Jason, by uh, some of the advances that have been happening in terms of um, I'm going to say hmm, some of the independent production. It's the uh, different ways at which, um, especially episodic television and programming, is happening. And I mean, obviously, this is uh, you know a huge area. Everyone's discussed it a lot. The idea of no longer sticking to the same kind of formats and stuff. But for me, a really big turning point was like last week when they launched uh, Blood and Crime, which is the effectively Battlestar Galactica new series on. Machinima, so it's basically coming out on the net, and it's, I guess, being used almost like a pilot for the TV show. Um, it's extraordinary for me because they were whinging about the fact they only had two million to make it, um, and a pilot. Well, these these ten minute segments, yeah. Right. Um, but it's uh, uh, they've got ten episodes, and they're rolling them out in between now and February, and I think they're awesome. And I just think it's really, really interesting that um, this is how it's going, and. This company that uh, is the Sci-Fi Channel, it's now called Sci-Fi, spelled S-Y-F-Y, mm. is a division of NBC Universal. So it's you know it's obviously mainstream in that sense, but it's not um, that this is going out on television first. It's effectively got this new series, kind of semi. Um, well, it is being premiered online in these ten-minute segments. It's interesting. It's a ten-minute format. It's interesting that it's a a well-known um, piece of material, and they're putting millions of dollars behind it. But the production quality is just through the roof. Now, I've separately got links into the post team for the visual effects work, right. which is what you'd expect. Does anyone know any details about the shooting of this? If anyone's got any details about the shooting of Battlestar Galactica, Blood and Crime, not about the visual effects, which I'm tapped into and and uh, in of its own right, is spectacularly good. I mean, just really, really exciting. But I'm, I just feel like this is a big turning point in... Um, well, I mean, not a turning point. It's just a sign on the road of the curve yeah. that we're on as we shift directions and yeah. um downloadable bite-sized chunks of uh, of of high of, quality programming of uh, yeah content now like when i'm when i'm when we're talking about this this um episode one's been out for i guess about a week or so it's had about almost two million views on youtube um and that's significant right uh and i don't know about the economics and i'm not really addressing that right this second though it's of big interest to me the economics of um of doing this there are four episodes out now episode one two three and four though i think three and four are running together and it's um it's a you know it's a show it's really interesting i guess also because there is a merging of gaming technology and game engines um with what you can do with filmmaking so there's another area that really interests me a lot at the moment this whole idea that i could actually use a game engine to uh actually make a short film and that's of huge interest. The thing about this, though, that that's relevant to us is, uh, and this podcast is, you know, this is not um, 
game engine quality people running around. This is proper live action actors integrated. Yeah, right. And the way they made the show for the what is, I think, a sort of healthy budget, but they think is a very, very, very low budget, um, is that they shot the whole thing green screen. So it's all shot green. Um, it's basically completely done. They got uh, 20 sets that were built entirely inside Lightwave. So I'm, I'm down on the Lightwave. I'm down on the 3D and the Cylons and the really good quality of all of that. Um, and I understand that. But I think what's significant is that they didn't do the people as um, game engine type uh, actors, even though, as I say, that's a very interesting separate discussion point, this whole idea of... I know the cinematographer was Lucas Etlin, who shot uh, Lincoln Lawyer and Battle LA, uh, amongst a ton of other things. Um, but uh, that is the extent of my knowledge at all. Because um, I just think, like, you know, it's <coughs> it's obviously the case that we can no longer look at um, at some things, you know, running exactly the way they used to. How does that, you know, play out? How does it play out in terms of um, distribution? We discussed that with the 4K projection stuff. But yeah. just the very nature of what is the target. Um, just making I think it's a loss leader so that if they get enough downloads, if they get enough hits, then they'll commission it and turn it into a series. You know, quite possibly. Mm. Um, but if you were a fan of Battlestar Galactica, it's great to see it come back. It's extraordinary to see it come back um, with serious money behind it, but straight to the web, which normally would make no sense. Mm. Uh, and the production value and quality that they're getting out of this. And look, I'm not being in any way disparaging to Lightwave because I think Lightwave is really, really good, but this isn't a major feature film pipeline that is using, you know, all of the mega tools. Um, it's a still uh, a level down from that. In, you know, it's not a thousand effects yeah. artists working on a pipeline like for it is for a feature. I'm constantly impressed at the level of production for telemovies or just TV series. Like Sherlock, the level of production and, and, and the, the mm. slick slick finish on something like Sherlock 4, uh, which is probably no doubt done on you know, reasonably tight TV schedule. Well, everything's... You can't really compare schedules now. Everything's bloody tight. But a tight TV uh, series kind of schedule, even though they don't have that many episodes in a season or in a series, um, but they are long. They're like movie-length apps. The work being done on Merlin out of the UK at the moment, um, which was all being rendered in Arnold, is extraordinary. But, you know, even um, at feature film level, uh, as I said, I was talking to um, the Skyfall guys about that, and it's coming out in FX Guide, and 12 weeks in post, uh, 1,300 shots in Skyfall. I mean... You know, oh, thirteen hundred shots. A lot of rig removal, I guess. There's yeah. a lot of sort because of, a lot, lot looks in camera. Yeah. Uh, so maybe the old blue screen. You know, putting plates together, rig removal. Not a lot of green. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Know. It's good because uh, there's terrific. I tweeted it a while ago. I mean, it's, it's it's there on the net to be found. But if you search for, uh, I'm trying to think what it's going to be, um, the B-roll, uh, Skyroll, Skyfall B-roll. There's five, six, seven, eight. A whole bunch of um, just behind the scenes, just mute or just you know just production audio, no no voiceover or no sort of bullshit mm -hmm. marketing crap over the top of it. Just raw on set footage of how they're shooting it, and a lot of it is very very raw in camera. 
you know, you think like the guys doing their motorbikes along the very thin walls, you think, oh my God, there's going to be, a, they're going to be laying out uh, like a kilometre of um, guy wires and have cranes with safety harnesses in case they fall. No, just drive the freaking bike along the wall. And, you know, if you're going to smash the smash a car, then you have to have a, roll a car into a crowded market. Perhaps you'll have a, you know, have a, a compressed gas uh, lift log rolling the car with guy wire stopping it from rolling into the crowd or rolling left or right or hitting camera no let's just roll the car you know and just have the cameras backed off on the long lens and just yeah just you know the camera ca- and you know there's people very casually just standing in right directly in line of fire of all these rolling cars and no one's you know no one's in any danger I well, just love I, I, the. I, think I just love the expertise now that is for on-set stunt coordination that we can do it all in camera and make it repeatable, completely repeatable. There's numerous takes repeated on a lot of this stuff, and it's all virtually the same. Car rolls exactly the same point, just roof at the same point, skids to the same point. You know, within a foot or two of of of, of cameras on tripods. It's very. Maybe that's just the devil may care where, where we shoot things in, in, in Eastern Europe. But no, I don't think so. I think what happens is very that we talk about technology advancing, and you tend to think of that in terms of computers, but just a lot of the other crafts advance as well. Mm. You know, yeah. like prosthetics has advanced in a huge amount. Mm. Um, uh, miniatures, in fact, we were talking about this on Skyfall on this podcast. I don't know, you probably... Okay, um, okay I won't spoil the film. Um, how about this? Imagine, for a second, you just had... Say. okay. Okay, this is not giving anything away. <laughs> Better not. No, I'm, I promise you it's not. Okay, cars will get destroyed in a Bond movie. Agreed? That's not giving anything away? Yes. Obviously cars get destroyed. Okay, imagine... <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, okay. So imagine you wanted to destroy a, a car, like the evil baddies car or whatever. Um, well, the, a hero car gets destroyed like that in the Bond film. They made it with a 3D laser printer. Now, don't you think that's kind of cool? They made it in 18 parts. So they actually right. had a laser printer big enough that they could have actually made... Um, a one car make a print. car out of out of bits and pieces. Yes, sir. But they didn't. But they made it, um, you know, with uh, a laser printer yeah. and uh, a three D printer. 3D, yeah. And and I think that is just awesome. But here's the thing: like, if you think about that, and this is a point we discussed in the podcast, it's just kind of cool because at one level, um, you would say, "Oh, you need to get away from miniatures. You need to get away from doing that kind of stuff because it's all better done digitally." Well, here's a case of, "Well, let's design the baddies or the goodies car digitally." Yeah. Then I'm just going to print it, mm. give you the digital, or give me the digital file so I can do some work with it in VFX. And then, you know, the exact same thing that I have the digital file for yeah. is printed in, as I say, 18 pieces. It was done by a company in I, Germany. And then I guess if you do it that way, then it's a bit more of a controlled explosion. You know how it's going to break away. You can almost model how it's going to shatter. Well, you know you're not exploding a car that's going to have a million parts to it with bolts and shards and glass and fractures. You know, you know that what's going to, you know everything that's going to be shattering and, and uh, flying at people and what it's made of versus a car, which is like a million. Even if you strip one down, it's still a myriad of parts that could go in any one direction. It's a lot more predictable, I guess. Yeah, but the funny thing is, it's all about making predictable because they can make more than one. Yes, they right. made another one. That yeah. They didn't destroy, and they sold it at Christie's for $100,000. Which paid for a small... I know, isn't that great? Sport, like, paid, paid for the drinks at the, rap, I at want, the rap party. I want a VX4000 3D printer. I don't want one of those little ones that can print, you know, a salt yeah. show on my desk. I want one that will print a car. Okay, middle third scale, but still. <laughs> awesome. Look up VX4000 industrial 3D printer. 
Mm. Excellent. There are YouTube videos and everything. It's so awesome. No, but I mean, it is like the other crafts. Uh, so you were talking about stunts. Obviously, a lot of work is done in calculating those stunts and being able to work out what's going to you know, be feasible and what's going to happen. And yeah, if you keep the speed correct and you, you know, you clear everything else, you do a dry run and you know where the car is going to go as long as you don't sort of go faster or, sl- you know, faster or slower, then stuff does get pred- predictable. And yeah, if you use the right people, you're using the cream of the crop, which you are for on, on the level of production for Sky 4, then yeah. You've just got to so see this 3D printer. Like, it's big enough that you could... I mean, it's like, takes up the size of this office. And and they're just this enormous kind of, like, conveyor belt pouring in the raw materials in one end. And then it just prints things. Yeah, money, no object. Well, look, you know, you're either, you're either doing it in CGI, you're doing either doing it for camera or um, or after the shoot you know you're going to have to spend some money to get that to get that bang for your buck you just have a choice to spend the ba- the buck in front of the camera or or, af- or after after the fact so yeah i think it's just a testament probably to the way this this film looks and to the way the you know its success is is the the raw in camera because you know i just think that's the the way to go yeah it's to, just a really well directed film yeah the, the success is he's directed a film which you haven't seen it yet, so I won't give no. you details, but it's Less basically a film. No, but hang on. It's a film that you can, and we discussed this in the VFX show, you can drive trucks through the plot points. I mean, there are just serious yeah. holes, and there are corny lines, and there are odd things that characters do, but it's so well directed that it doesn't occur to you until much later. Hey, that actually wasn't the brightest thing to do. Or yeah. much later, do you go, actually... That was, I guess, a bit corny. But at the time, none of it feels hammy, none of it feels corny, and no. none of it feels improbable. That's good. If you it's can just suspend good that belief enough, you know, yeah, yeah, the whole train collapses behind him and he gets up to adjust his cufflink. You go, yeah, sure, no worries. <laughs> yeah, and what's really funny is that there's stuff like that that happens that later you go, hang on a second. Yeah. How would that train have done that? But at the yeah. time, you're like, yeah. And I've yeah. got to say, in, in the, uh, you know, just, just when we watched it, the crowd... long enough to get you to the next bit. Totally. Yeah. Cool. So... Excellent. Looking forward to it. Loving it. Loving it. And also a testament to um, uh, second unit director. I forget his name, but he's it's long time um, uh, action unit director who's uh, just goes from 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 uh, film to film. And uh, I've got to say, all the directors. Of photography that I like the work of the most at the moment are producing really strong stylized cinematic imagery that doesn't look like it's from a TVC, doesn't look sort of polished, and yet it is obviously highly polished. It's this knack of making something look really cinematic, really wonderful, and in the body of the work, and it could be Skyfall, but I mean, there are a bunch of really good DOPs that do this kind of stuff at the moment, and it just looks so effortless and so. Yeah unchoreographed and yet clearly it is and i think many of the things that that i'm being drawn to in this work that i'm liking at the moment is not mega shaky cam it's uh good composition and uh, getting back to you know letting things go into the blacks and letting things um uh ride you don't have to see everything in the shot um we don't have to sort of open up and have because uh, you know you get a lot of these problems where there's a lot of unmotivated light in the shot. And I yep. think if you can, if you can not make it look unlit, so it needs to look naturally lit, yep. but not unlit, yes. which is, I think, kind of ugly. The beautiful side of natural. 
and then not draw your attention to yourself with super complicated shaky cam wobble cam badly framed shots yeah i think it's just it's just very good cinematography as opposed to the other sort of school at the moment which is let's shoot everything and overexpose it or at least in post make it look like the black levels are way up and that it looks like it's 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 uh real because it's badly shot well yeah. that's just i i don't I don't like that. Alexander Witt. Sorry, Alexander Witt. He's the second unit director and cinematographer. And he's done, you freaking name it, Gladiator, Triple X, Fast and, you know, Fast and Furious's, Fast and Furious Eye, uh, Robin Hood. This done a lot with Tony and Ridley. Uh, Pelham 1, 2, 3. Hmm? This is the second unit director on? Yep. And he did, he did uh, Pelham 1, 2, 3, the yep. new one? Well, that was nicely shot. Yeah, it's beautiful. Awesome. If you haven't seen Pelham 1, 2, 3, sensational. But, you know, yeah, Gladiator. Money train, speed two, this like serious, serious dude. So it's a lot, you know, a lot of action content for Skyfall. It's all a testament to someone who, you know, because a lot of times you go to, you know, as a main unit director, although I'm sure he was probably more hands on with this one, but a lot of the time, especially for the Bonds, you've got almost the two units and working side by side, you'd have second unit doing all the action stuff and literally you're going from a uh, dialogue scene with M and Q's and on to the next dialogue scene and, um, the, you know, the machine happens around you. So uh, I thought it uh, sounds like uh, he's kind of reinvented the wheel and, uh, yeah, let's get back on track and get away from shit like Quantum of Solace, which doesn't is dead to me. <laughs> anyway, moving on. What is this? Um, you got in the show notes. I've just decided we'd go back to the show for a second. Um, (laughs) What is this thing you've got in the show? It's about human cameras. Uh, This is because this is almost a bit of a stills thing, but I thought it was an interesting um, project. Um, MNC Saatchi uh, Australia have done an interesting, I guess, charity project to raise money for some athletes, Australian athletes. Um, uh, The Human Camera Project is uh, getting together a whole bunch of athletes and strapping turning athletes in training into camera platforms and selling the art that comes from them. So they've given the, the task to a number of... They've almost assigned a great Australian photographer uh, with an, a great Australian athlete in training and they've uh, rigged cameras around them and let them go through their training. Uh, with, uh, often it's GoPros um, on, in stills mode. Uh, and uh, yeah, let the let the photographers choose the shots and give them a light grade, and then you can uh, buy the uh, prints of these. And some beautiful, interesting stuff. If you imagine, you put uh, you know guys who sort of sprint on the beach and go running in the uh, swimming in the ocean and uh, riding the bike across the harbour bridge and strap the a million uh, you know, strap you know eight or ten GoPros all on their arms and legs, and then. Uh, use the keen eye of a photographer to then go through, not just choose, to choose the location, choose the light and the time that you go out and capture, but then also cull the photos and choose the hero ones and, and, and give them a look. And, uh, yeah, all donating all their time. And uh, you can go on to humancameras.mcsarchi.com.au and, um, yeah, you can look at the project, uh, look at the gallery, and uh, you can get like a... a two which i think is like two a3s print for like maybe a hundred bucks and some of these shots are ter- terrific and the gopro on stills mode has um oh it's not gopro on video mode it's GoPro no on no mode. this I'm is that's what i was sort of half hesitant but i thought it was an interesting creative project that i thought it was worth uh worth including at least for, for a bit of a look that um 
yeah, it is more of a stills project, but uh, yeah, the image I thought, come on, strapping GoPros to people, you know, all you're going to get is like nine. I'm sure they did get nine thousand shots of the ground or the sky, but um, it's the it's the sort of randomness of of, of the shots that I think are really interesting. So yeah, I th- I links in the uh, increasingly hard to get to show notes. But, well, they're uh, not increasingly hard to get to. Apple just well, changed the fact that you can't have the show notes download. So they're on the website. They're all been always on the website. Yes, they're always on fxguide.com and you click on the right podcast and you can get the, get the notes there. Yes, all right. But they are n- impossible, to, almost impossible to get from uh, your yeah, iDevice. Just, uh, you go to uh, fxguide.com. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a reasonable site. You should go there. You should go there. Hey, one nice thing about your um, body thing is it's got links to all the photographers' websites yes, that are involved true. in the project. Yes, yeah, so good on them. They They get a little bit of, you know... Uh, a bit of um, they get their work pimped for being involved but uh, I think it's quite clever that you can actually have you can own a print of a, a shot taken by yeah uh, taken by an athlete while they're training it's quite interesting particularly with someone that you that you know and respect these guys look a bit dorky with six GoPros all strapped to their knees and their crotches and the, but uh, hey I think it's just a clear, it's just an interesting uh, use of 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 of, of, of gear, it's simple gear, using it the right way. So I thought it was worth chucking in there. It is funny looking at some of these photographers' um, material because uh, I don't know. It's you're basically saying that their creative contribution is selecting shots. I guess rather I've than taking the shots, right? Yes, but they're, or uh, designing they're sort the of shots, helping maybe. guide that process. You know, going let the guy go train and then look afterwards at the uh, at the footage and maybe change it, change the light, change the rigging of the cameras. So there's a considerable uh, creative input from from the photographers, and of course they're doing it for for you know for free, donating their time. So. Um, yeah, there's a lot of great, great Australian, great Australian shooters. Okay, well that's about it for this week, isn't it? I think. I think the one tiny little bit of errata was that um, the I, I mentioned F- FCPX only um, just got second monitor, uh, the second monitor functionality, which apparently it's had for a while, but. Um, as I say, I think I. But you wouldn't of, know that because you don't. Part use of it. the whole stupidity of FCPX is that it sort of put a lot of people off. So I hadn't been back to it for a while. So it took something like uh, the red functionality being added to it to make me get back to it. So that was my other little. And thank you to everybody who pointed that out. Seriously, please never stop letting me know when we get things uh, incorrectly. We will never stop getting it wrong. So please. <laughs> Don't stop telling us. Okay, so we've effectively done our uh, Twitter shout-out already by uh, doing the shout-out to uh, Johans, who won the um, Troop. the uh, Rubber Monkey stuff. So we can sort of move straight to saying, Jason, your Twitter feed is? Is Wingrove. And mm. website, wingrove.tv. Excellent. And uh, as I say, you're off to LA, so... I am here this week, but I think next week I'm off to um, Singapore. Yeah. So it'll probably be a couple of weeks before we hook up again. I'm just going to do a quick, also a quick shout out to ACS, uh, Australian Cinematography Society, who uh, just went to their awards a couple of nights ago. Uh, it was terrific. 
and I just wanted. To, I also went to what they have maybe every month. I'm, I think I mentioned they have like these drop-ins mm. where people with gear, with a new shoot, with and we often get you know get top line shooters will come in and talk about their academy award winning work uh but and then it can also just be a cool piece of gear as i say matt allard cat brought the kinney raw in uh panasonic brought in their new um p2 and p2 mini ca- cameras and there's a lot of people uh of contributing contributing uh, to that and so it was just was a great night um acs put on a brilliant night um and and they constantly monthly um help build up the community by engaging uh, bringing uh, bringing shooters with with members and bringing gear um, connecting uh, members with gear and you know i guess that i guess what i'm saying is that it's it's seek out your regardless of acs or acs in your state in australia seek i think it's really worthwhile to seek out and connect or reconnect with your local cinematographer society because there's a real, I mean, at least I, I can only speak for Australia, but I'm sure no, I can around for, the world that yeah. there is a real community there. And we, we had a, 90% of the people who put together that ACS, who put the meetings and the meetups mm-hmm. and the the yearly uh, awards is uh, are doing it for, for free. They're not being paid. And all of the fees you pay are generally just paying for the event, you know, covering the cost of the event itself. So I think... You know, it's nothing without members and you really got to get in there and it's uh, having and i kind of said this the other night having been to an awful lot of advertising awards nights where you know i'm not sort of poo-pooing too much the whole advertising sort of arena but actually i am a lot of people at those events are really self-serving you know it's a much more of a a wank of an event than than I guess I really noticed the tone of the room was much more different, much more engaging, much more interested in people and what they're creating, what they're shooting and learning from each other than at an advertising event where really it's the end of year, how much cocaine can we snort competition and uh, or... or how can I uh, get a job with this other agency? And basically they're sort of all... It's very incestuous... Um, and slightly more soulless. Yeah, that's great. That'll get me work, won't it? A little bit, Jace. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say I've been to but the. Uh, been to both. Been to both. I just. No, can, no, I agree, the the difference is in the toilets, right? If you go into the toilet of the ACS, I was the only one there. Every time I went to the toilet of the ACS event, everyone was out there talking to each other, completely opposite for and for very opposite reasons at uh, every advertising uh, event that I've been to. It's uh, good luck actually trying to get into the toilets because generally people will not be using it for its intended function. I used to go to a lot of advertising (laughs) awards, won my fair share, and I used to enjoy them uh, immensely. And it was a really good place to network. But I will agree with you that the... That the um, and it's not just the ACS, the ASC in LA. I've been to quite a few events at the Clubhouse, which is just awesome. And in Britain, it's it's completely different. It's the BKTSC or whatever it is. It's the um, the British Society of Cinematographers. Yeah, anyway, BCS is uh, is superb. Oh, mm. And um, yeah, so yeah, I totally agree. It's a great idea. And you're right; these guys, we we um, well, my company sponsor. Uh, yes. The uh, Australian yep. and to their sponsors, and of course. There was a lot, of, lot, of, lot of sponsors who who made that uh, night possible. Had a great chat with some really good people. Great but chat think, with Peter James. Terrific. Lots of lots of lots of good people. Peter James is great. I think a really big point though is just getting involved, right? Yeah. Um, because whatever it is that you need to get involved in, 
um, and it obviously changes depending where you are in the industry, there is a tremendous sense of, oh, I don't want to go out tonight, you know, get this thing, that kind of thing. And then you oh, go to these I'm things and they're the great. first on that list to say, you know, do that, yeah. They are really, really good. And uh, it's uh, important networking. You learn stuff. And, you know, every time I say to myself, eh, there's two things I know about that are like this, right? One is um, getting up at dawn to shoot. The number of times like, ah, I get up tomorrow at dawn. Yep. And then I, I was in New Zealand, got up at dawn. <laughs> <laughs> you have to break the seal. You have to physically actually do it. You know, yeah. that's the hard. But once you do, though, we were up at uh, dawn on top of Mount Victoria, photographing Wellington uh, sunrises. We had a couple of cameras set up, going in a couple of directions. My direction proved to be a useless direction, but the other direction was very good. Stu actually said this. It's true. When you face a sunrise or towards where you think the sunrise is, often worry about what's happening 180 degrees. Yeah. And so we set up too towards where the sun was kind of playing mm. and the exact opposite yes low warm front light can be very interesting and watching the the well but watching those shadows creep down the mountains yeah. as the clouds come over the top was mm. much more interesting than watching the camera flare out as the sun went straight down the barrel mm. and it's just as interesting because it's it's early it's still interesting yeah. because not only will get up at that time of day it's just regardless of the direction you you shoot but as you say it's the if they're sitting in bed thinking, oh, I shouldn't bother doing it, or, you know, at, at very comfortable in your comfy, in your track pants or whatever, sitting at home thinking, oh, do I really want to go out? And it's, it's when you actually do, and you get out there and, you know, it's and, and connect. It is, uh, man, it's gone from the first world problem podcast to the old fart wind club. I know, I, I, I disagree. I really think that um, it's very easy to be cynical and uh, down about, um, societies and groups like that in general, mm. professional organizations, yeah. they'll have inf- information nights or training nights or whatever. And you think, yeah, you know, I don't want to go on that. And, and you go along and you learn a ton. I went to one on that they put on uh, with uh, Dita, you know, with the lights. Yeah. One of the best things on lights I've ever been to in my life. It mm. was so informative. Everything from uh, UV filtering on lights to control the uh, different types of UV for sunburn under, you know, uh, electric lighting in, in studios, right yeah. through to a ton of stuff to do with um, uh, lens focusing and, and how exactly a bunch of different lights worked. I, I, you know, That's by someone who basically live and breathes lights and built lights out of nothing and you know, created an entire uh, sector of the market. And I, I could have obviously, or it could have obviously been one of those you know, sales things yeah. that you know, is a bit lame because they're just going through their product line and, uh, you know... But um, Dido Wright, or how's he selling his sailing? It's a W R I G E R T. I don't know. But, anyway, but that is his name, isn't it? Yeah, but it was just name. absolutely spectacularly good. And if I'd have missed that, I guess I would never know what I missed. But to this day, it's, I've never been to a lighting seminar, a lighting talk, a pitch mm. that was more informative. I, right up there with. What I learned from the Pixar guys talking about how they light food to digitally reproduce it at, uh, at a SIGGRAPH presentation. This was like one of those moments where you go, wow. But you never know, you know. You've just got to get uh, in the game and... and uh, yeah. Or, or, or if you are a member, bring some, you know, engage and, and be one of those people that brings, bring, brings something to the table, you know. Bring, 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 bring a shoot. Talk about, talk about something you've done. I think, you know, it's... Uh, I I've just find it just a very welcoming community. And as I say, having done the, the advertising thing for a while, I just find it the complete opposite. So. Cinematographers are nice guys. Yeah. And gals. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, seek out your local um, branch or association and, and uh, yeah, engage with that a bit more because we're sort of, it's turning into a bit more online and, you know, Vimeo is like the sort of substitute ACS club where, you know, uh, it all becomes about the, the, what, the gear, you know, three-line li- three info at the bottom of a Vimeo post. Oh, well, great, I've got that lens, so why doesn't my stuff look like that? And, and I think we need to reconnect with people who have been doing this a lot longer than us and have shot seven, eight, ten anamorphic films and, and, uh, and come from the land of printer lights and... Um, uh, the pain, the pain, and the panic of, of rushes, and and uh, and who you know we can learn, still learn an awful lot from that side of things, and a lot of stuff is is getting pushed away, pushed and put to the back burner, and um, you know diffusion, a hundred, you know filtration, all of the stuff that has been kind of thrown away in the land of run and gun simplicity of the Vimeo world, that we really, I'm I'm all for and trying trying to push myself to reconnect with with that with that side of of, of things okay got one other quick request if you're still yes. listening somebody posted this week a really good lighting tutorial thing about lighting to make it look like someone was reading a book and it was they were bouncing a light off a big uh, poly that was then going through a scrim it was all really good i looked at it on my iphone thought oh that's a really good tutorial i want to really focus on that more can't bloody find it again try doing a search for book lighting it's just there's just too many it's just don't even get close so if anyone saw this week somebody that posted a really good um uh tutorial on how they do it, it was like vincent or somebody like that i don't think it was i went to his blog and searched frantically and couldn't find it if you mm. guys saw it just send me the url you really appreciate it in fact i'd send you a baseball cap if you find that all right thanks it jace Excellent. thanks mike see you guys Thank see you guys thanks so much bye thanks for listening Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.